0: Anyway, so we're uh, getting to the end of the road on this uh, maybe short, intense journey of uh, this five-day retreat. And I guess traditionally what we end up doing is we have a Q&A in the last evening as a way of just kind of beginning to break the ice in the meditation hall. It's been quiet, not a lot of discussion here, um, and then Larry tomorrow will give a bit of a talk uh, on practice and you know bringing the practice into your everyday life outside of IMS, and then also he'll he'll answer some questions um, too. So this format is pretty open in terms of um, the range of questions um, that you can bring up. Um, you might be running out of questions. I'm not sure. Uh, had a lot of discussion groups and had a chance to to ask questions, but uh, just in case there's anything out there, yes, let's do Uh, it. uh, If you could also, if you could speak up a little bit loud when you're asking the question. I have a really hard time repeating people's questions sometimes.
1: <laughs>
0: and yeah. Yeah. So have you you've been sleeping through the retreat? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> and the only moment awake unless you've had is when the when the bell rings. It, w- No, but you could be in kind of a dreamy state. And that can come out of different things. That can arise, that state of mind can arise out of different states. One is it can be just kind of the classic hindrance of dullness. They call it sloth and torpor. Um, when the, That's what they call it. It's kind of negative. But it's 2,500 years old. Um, it's you know kind of a sleepy dullness, but then sometimes you know the mind can go kind of drop into different places when the samadhi gets pretty good you know when the samadhi gets better you know they they sometimes call it a sinking mind mind that kind of sinks and um you know what we talk a lot about in practice is this both relaxing and also wakefulness you know and it sounds to me like you've got, you're like halfway you got the relaxation piece Really, now it's really a question of, in other words, your body and mind are relaxing. But now it's a question of really trying to be mindful of whatever state you're in, and that—that's what you want to do. Is in other words, you don't—you don't have to have a particular experience, you know. But you want to be mindful of that state of mind that you find yourself in, whether it's a dreamy state of mind or whatever. It's possible to be mindful of that. No, I don't think you're making yourself do it. I, I think you're drifting into it. No, I mean yeah. making yourself more mindful. Oh yeah, yeah. Well with the thing with practice is that usually what the way it works is that mindfulness when we begin to practice is pretty weak. You know, in other words, it's a form of intelligence that we haven't really put a lot of effort or energy or training into developing. And then we go through a period um, which fluctuates. It's not like it's just a steady thing. But you do go through a period where it takes more effort to remember to be mindful. You know, and, the, and the more you remember to pay attention to what's happening in the here and now, the stronger the mindfulness gets. And then when the mindfulness gets stronger, it becomes much more accessible. you know. It's just that because it's not that strong right now, we haven't tapped into it that yeah. easily, it, it sometimes it it get it's hard to get to, uh, but but as but it is a natural natural quality of mind. But it is a question of making some effort, and then once it starts getting, you know, stronger, then what happens is just like any form of intelligence that we have, like thinking, for instance, it it's readily available to us. So you might find yourself just walking down the street, and this may happen to you um, when you leave here, um, when you're you know five days from now, you know you're caught up and. You've totally forgot about being mindful and you're caught up in all the stuff that's happening there and all that. Then all of a sudden you'll be walking down the street and then boom, you drop into your body or you become a little bit more mindful of your breath. And it's because of the effort that you've cultivated here that allows us to begin to drop into being more mindful because that's actually more the description of how the process works. Once you start practicing, it's like, oh, and then you're there. Oh, then you're there, you know. Rather than trying to be mindful and attentive, right? Okay.
1: Sure. I'm finding that when I'm sitting, sometimes I'm very aware of my breath, and I'm having thoughts, and sometimes I entertain them, sometimes I'll you know just let them go. But I feel as though I'm literally floating above the chair.
0: Mm-hmm. to continue, yeah. and then sometimes I'll make myself stop because it doesn't seem Yeah. <laughs> Do you get worried? A, a little bit. Yeah. how
1: skillful this?
0: Yeah. I guess I shouldn't admit this, but I, I've had that experience a lot in my early years of practice, and it really scared the hell out of me, basically. That kind of out-of-body kind of thing. Yeah. And I remember there was a a window in my room. And every night, it would happen mostly at night, I would make sure the window was closed. <laughs> I was really, honestly, I was really afraid, that afraid that I was going to like, you know, your astral body, whatever the theory was at the time. Those things are really out the window now, but there was a lot of talk about that kind of thing back at, way back when. Um, and, you know, I, it, and to me, it sounds like it could be a little bit of an out-of-body experience. Um, the thing to do, what do you think I'm going to tell you to do? You tell me. What did I just tell him? No, just be mindful. Yeah, yeah. No, observe it. Yeah, observe, observe, but also observe your reaction to it. Oh, I feel my hands. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm here. And does that bring you down? In? Back in? Okay. How do you get back in? I mean, how do you, how does things come back again? Um, Sometimes I'll just take a really deep breath. Okay, that sounds good, too. I like that. No, I like that, too. That's good. It sounds fine. One can definitely have some unusual experiences on the cushion. I mean, as the mind develops certain kinds of levels of concentration and power, and also as the mind begins to relax... And, and unlocks this power of mindfulness. Well, there can be some very unusual things. Let's say, not your ordinary, everyday, you know, walking down the street experiences. Yeah. And especially, I would say, around the body and just our relationship to the body and our experience of the body. One can experience the body as pure energy, uh, pure light, um, you know, just very kind of the non-materiality of the body. You know, there's just, one can feel energy systems and different, lots of unusual ways that we can become more aware of the body. We see different aspects of the body. It's true for the mind, too, though. Yeah, way down. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, th- that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to sink into relaxation. Uh, I'm not. I'm definitely not down on relaxation. I, you know, strongly encourage you to relax. Um but we also want to be awake at the same time and and, and that 's the that 's the balance that we 're often working with in practice is that we can get so relaxed that the mind begins to check out and what i 'm saying is is and that and, and that 's not a bad state of mind to be in, but there 's not a lot of learning that happens in that mind state, but it might be healing on some level you know and, and so i 'm not thinking that this is something that has to be a problem but um, it's possible to be deeply relaxed, really relaxed, and still have the mind quite alert and awake and attentive. And there's a tremendous amount of learning that can happen in that space. There's times when the mind can be very alert and attentive and not relaxed. And that's really hypervigilance in a way. You know, It's not always so useful. You know, so you want to combine those two together really you want to nurture a sense of relaxation but relaxation means many different things and, and one very deep relaxation that i'm sure many of you have started experiencing on this retreat is beginning to let go of the agenda of what is supposed to happen you know if we can actually let go of the expectations and the pressure that we put on ourselves to have a particular experience that's profoundly relaxing you know profoundly relaxing deeply relaxing, it's freeing to to be able to... Because then you can actually just be with whatever's arising. You're not always comparing or criticizing or judging or evaluating. And that that allows a lot of learning uh, and something new to emerge. Whereas if we have an agenda, undoubtedly there's going to be tension in the mind. So um, when we talk about relaxing, we're not just talking about physical relaxation, we're really talking about an attitude and practice and the nice thing about the, this kind of relaxation, the one that's free of agenda, is that it's unconditional. In other words, it's not dependent on a particular thing happening. In other words, it's open to whatever's arising. And, and, and that's the, the unconditional, that's the direction of, un, the, of the unconditioned, which is where practice goes. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of relaxation in that in the middle of changing conditions. And oftentimes the kind of relaxation where the mind sinks or drifts, it's very conditional, like you said. It can be like if the lights are low or you're, or you're sleepy or if you're meditating a long time. It, some, sometimes that relaxation is kind of conditional in a way. The one that I'm talking about combines both relaxation and attention. It's a very creative place, yeah. Mm. That it is it's To really, really. Rather than well, there's a dharma talk in there. I'll tell you. <laughs> that's a that's a really good quet. I mean, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Because I am actually speaking pretty loudly. I think. Um, well, the journey from delusion to awakening. Is a long one. Basically, I mean, it's a long path, and it's one of constantly rediscovering or discovery. You know, we 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 we're, we're discovering things about ourselves, and 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 in its essence, in in a very practical way, it's we continually discover and understand the nature of our suffering, and. What leads to liberation, and we discover that not necessarily always like in this grand, profound awakening, you know, where you know there isn't any more suffering anymore, but it's really in how we're living our life. You know, like we might find ourselves in a situation. A good example this this happens a lot at CIMC because we work with people in a pretty regular way. So we'll we'll track people, we'll be with people for over the course of years, oftentimes from the beginning of their practice till they've been practicing for. 10, 15, or 20 years. And one of the changes that one often sees is that people begin to relate to the conditions that they encounter in their everyday life differently. You know, that's that's really a big sign. It's not always, how was your sitting? I had a good sitting. I have a bad sitting. People come and say that to me, and I, big deal. You know, I mean, you know, like, good, You know, you had a good sitting, fine. But, you know, you have another sitting and maybe it's not so good, so does that trouble you or cause suffering? Well, yeah, sometimes it does because we cling to those good sittings. Well, that's suffering. So to me, what I see over and over again is that people will relate to, like, family or difficult situations or uh, things at work or um, relationships that they find themselves in or money or change or you know, all the stresses and challenges and just life as it's unfolding, the joys and sorrows. And there's a fundamental shift in the relationship to those experiences where they're no longer suffering as much because they're taking a look at their their experience in those situations and working with it in a very creative way, really applying the teachings in that moment of time and remembering to do it more easily as time goes on. And so there's a learning process that happens and wisdom begins to grow. And compassion begins to grow, but it comes out of seeing those changes um, and uh, it, and that 's where faith comes in practice see faith in Buddhism isn't about believing me or Larry or believing the Buddha or believing that this is a great thing it's really seeing it for yourself that you change you know, that's, that's the that's the most unshakable faith we can have is that we actually see wait a second you know I'm not suffering as much in this situation as I used to used to. Wait a second, I responded to that person in a less reactive way, or I, you know, I've worked in my speech, or, you know, there's so many different aspects of life that we can take up and work and apply the Dharma to. And so that's what practice is all about, taking up something that you know is a habit that's creating suffering and trying to bring more mindfulness to it, and then begin to see that habit dissolve. And then, and out of that, there's this inner spaciousness that begins to grow, uh, where when you first begin practicing, your mind and body, everything's very tight and very congested. And as we begin to practice, more and more room is discovered within us. And there's more silence and more relaxation and more confidence. All of those things come out of letting go of suffering. It's really exactly the way the Buddha describes it. And at least that's my experience. It's exactly the way he describes it, actually. But it's on a Quote personal level. It's on a level of your life, you know, and and that those are the signs. From my end, I don't know if that really answers your question. You keep looking at me, but um, that's about as good as I can do in about three minutes. But yeah, yeah, it's really seeing the liberation of suffering, and it's tremendously inspiring to see that you don't do the same thing over and over again. I mean. it's so much worth the effort because we're living our life, you know, and so we might as well live it in a way that's creative, where there's some learning, where we inspire ourselves, where even when we confront the most difficult things, somehow we get through it. Somehow we're learning something. You know, it's not that the condition's are the way we want them to be, but somehow there's some learning that's happening there that's leading to some sense of freedom. And, and that's how practice unfolds. And if you stay with the path long enough, one will see that. I have no doubt about that. But it does take a lot of perseverance. The kind of fruit that I'm talking about may happen some on a retreat, you know, a short retreat. You get one has those experiences sometimes. But what we're really talking about is taking up the practice, you know, in your life and, and applying it in in over the course of years as you live your life uh i want to make sure i get to the back okay we'll we'll get there yeah Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Yep. No, that does Yeah, you're observing. Secondly, in this last city, thought came by and the residue of the thought, after it vanished when I recognized the thought, just kind of vaporized. And
1: the residue of the thought was angry. hmm mm-hmm. Here it's just to notice this is anger and wait for the next wave comes across. So emotions are treated the same as thoughts.
0: Well, what we want to do is bring awareness to our emotions. You know in general that 's what we want to do, whether we 're on the cushion or not that 's what that 's what we want to do. There are a lot of different ways to do that though you know to bring awareness i mean you know psychotherapy we're trying to bring awareness i 'm sure to our emotions it 's just that the methods that might be used or the framework or the or you know can be quite a bit different um, and sometimes the goal i think even could might be different depends on the therapist actually um But, yeah, in in this practice, what we want to do is experience what arises, but experience it fully. And what that means is, see, the thing about observing in practice is that we're not observing our experience from a distance. Okay? It's not like the anger is here and you're way over here watching it so you don't feel angry, you know, so it won't be very powerful. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is if anger arises, we're not necessarily figuring out why. Not here. I mean, sometimes that's useful, definitely. But here, we're not doing that. Where the anger arises and one wants to actually feel the anger itself. You can feel the anger without, quote, diving in, in that sense, and getting lost in it. That's not so helpful. It's better to just feel it, and one place you might feel it is in your body, I mean, let's just say if we're feeling anger right now. Say everybody's really angry at Matthew over here, okay? And I know nobody would get angry at me, so it won't work. So everybody's angry at Matthew, right? Okay, so you're feeling a lot of anger, right? You know, why is he sitting up there or something, you know? And so he's sitting too quiet, too still or something, right? And so if we're, if we're feeling anger, okay, let's take a look at that experience. Not from a distance, not like it's happening to somebody else. That's not how it is. We're actually feeling it. And so, okay, we're feeling anger. So how does that feel? What do you? Th- let's should, everybody just throw out a, a word or two of how how would you would you imagine this is f- feeling? Heart pumping. Heart pumping, tense. The body is tensing up. The mind is tensing up. Okay, energy. a lot of energy. Sure, anger is a high energy place. What? Hot, right? Heat. It's not cool, right? It's Heat. Stuck. What's that? Stuck. You feel stuck. Okay, good. Stand up. What's that? Stand up, stand up. That's what you'd want to do. Sit. Well, I don't get it. it... i I've become angry so that I felt open. Quick. Okay. All right. Good. So, what we're describing is certain is the way anger expresses itself. That energy. How it expresses itself in this body-mind system, and so what we're actually doing is getting to know it really closely, intimately. You know, Larry used that word the other day, intimately. In other words, if somebody is, if you're going to be intimate with somebody else, you know, you have to be willing to listen, don't you? I mean, if you're busy with your shtick, you know, you're not really being intimate, right? You're you're just on your particular high horse or agenda, right? And so you close down, right? You have an agenda, and so that's that's not intimacy. Intimacy is when you're quiet in a receptive—not necessarily quiet, but in a in- inwardly quiet. You're connected. You're present. That's exactly what the practice is: be present with that anger, and we'll learn the nature of that emotion. And the. Not really. I mean, it's 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 trickier because thoughts will disappear more quickly, so it's a different expression of energy. And so, sure, you see it; it's going to disappear. A lot of thoughts, if you're aware of them, there's no energy. There's hardly any energy at all. It could be, what do what we have for lunch? You know, boom. Or, gee, I wish you know, wish it was warmer. You know, some some just really quick thought or some drifty thing, and you you become aware of it; and it just disappears. A lot of, it, and then there's some energy like anger that you might be aware of, but it's not necessarily going to just dissolve the second you become aware of it. It may, you know, stick around for a while because it's a very charged energy, let's just say. Um, and so getting to know that in a close way, this is what awareness allows us to do. And then what we learn from that is, one, is that anger expresses itself in the body. You know, anger is a very tight emotion, that there's definitely some suffering in there when we're, when we're experiencing a lot of anger. Um, we might judge ourselves for being angry. Poor Matthew, why be angry at him? You know, then the self-judgment goes on and then feeling of guilt might arise. This is all just paying. You know, you're not thinking about it. You're just paying attention to what's arising. Yeah. This heat in the body. The face might be flush. And the other thing that you'll begin to notice, just like you said, is that it changes. That this is like an energy. And no energy is static. No emotion is just... Well, solid, it changes. And so there's insight and wisdom that comes out of that that can be very useful in terms of working with emotions. Because a lot of times when we're in an emotional state, we don't actually see the changing nature of it. We don't see that it's impermanent. We don't see the conditional nature of it. And so sometimes we act from that place. Um, and it's oftentimes an unskillful thing. We all know this, right? It can be an unskillful thing to act out of anger. you know, And, and so being mindful of it working with it that way that's what awareness. that's that's this practice sure yeah um, sometimes what the yeah 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 sure yeah i don't think it is okay. yeah so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you know what will happen is you'll hang it out and then it'll just dissolve. You know, it's it's. The, but then, you know, some thoughts might start. You know, arising out of that. You know, and and you know, and then you might tap into the kind of the emotional content of that particular physical energy, and that can be like sometimes people will experience fear that way or anxiety. You know, oftentimes it's experienced more in the body initially. Like, we're not really aware that we're feeling anxious. We can just feel that tightness or the heart or whatever. And so hanging out with that space sometimes will bring us more in touch with the emotional energy that's feeding those physical sensations. And so that's a good thing to do. Right. No. No. I I really think that's basically a waste of time. Yeah. Wait back, And then I'll get to the front. Okay. like in mhm me too <laughs> it's not fair <laughs> what's that i can't hear i can't hear really anything she's saying now what No satisfaction in that? No satisfaction, but sometimes <laughs> when you give in to it? What do you mean, give in? What do you mean, give in? Yeah, that's not so satisfying. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. It all depends on the situation. Okay, in the grandma situation, smoking. Right. To, to me, yes. Yeah, it would be unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, I would say that, no, I'm not resigned to being unsatisfying. I would say that I'm running out of options in this particular situation, skillful options, in terms of anything that I can do to affect her behavior. I huh. myself in a position I'm Right. I can talk about Mm-hmm. Or I can go out swinging. Yeah. And then there's consequences to that. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess. I guess I don't tell myself, I don't tell myself, don't be angry. That's not really exactly how I deal with it. When my anger does arise, or my aversion arises, because there's a wide range of aversion, you know, sometimes I might be mildly irritated. I was away for a month and came back, and then I had a very strong reaction um, of aversion. Um, So the aversion can express itself at different levels of intensity. But what I would say is, I don't tell myself, don't be angry. I tell myself, look at the aversion and see if there's if there's something, you know, first of all, I've looked at the whole situation and I've balanced a lot of different things. I worked, I function on a practical level. I tried to seal my apartment off from hers and that helped some. And I've done things and I've talked to her and I've talked to the daughter. But the bottom line is she has the right to do that. This is a this is in the face of conditions that we don't necessarily get to call the shots on. And that's, that's the way life works sometimes. And the older I get, the more I see that. And and so to me, it's not necessarily resignation, but it's realistic. It's realistic to see that she's probably not going to change her behavior. You know, I've I've hoped that she would, and I've encouraged her to, and I've made suggestions to help her do that, but she is not motivated. So, I can either live with it or I can move. Now, if I move and I feel resentful about that, okay, which I'm sure some resentment will arise, especially during the move. Uh, you know, it'll probably be the strongest time. And then once I move, there's a letting go and a readjusting and all that. But if the resentment does arise, then I'll, I'll bring my attention and I'll investigate that resentment to take a look at what, what that's all about. And take responsibility for those reactions because it's very important to take responsibility for the anger. But it doesn't mean that you're saying what she's doing is okay. That's important to, to see that. You know, it's not like you're, it's not like you're always going around letting everybody off the hook. You know, if you're wise, because that's not that's not that's not really what we're talking about here. You know, she's, she's responsible for her actions. But, quite frankly, I can't change her actions. You know, and I'm definitely responsible, responsible for any resentment or anger I might, that might arise in my mind in relationship to her. You know, she's smoking. I mean, you know, uh, 30 years ago I was smoking. You know, I mean, you know, uh, now from this vantage point it seems like it's a foolish thing to do. You know, and it's, uh, you know, but it's an addiction. You know, and she's tried to quit and hasn't been able to. So from my perspective, I definitely have some compassion for her, but I'm not happy that I have to move. You know, I'm not happy about that. But, but there are many conditions, like I said earlier, I think in my talk, there are so many conditions that we face that aren't the way we want them to be, and there's not a lot that we can do about them. And so, consequently, we have to work with our reactions to those things and then try, by working with our reactions, to try to discern wise action and from my perspective i've gone just about the whole range of wise action in relationship to her other than move and that just may be what my next step is and then i'll just work with it and let it go it's not a great tragedy that i'm in that position i mean i've seen tragedies i read about tragedies all the time it's nothing in the scope of things really nothing Um, but there's still feelings about it, you know, but it's still, it's important to have a perspective sometimes on what we're dealing with. And it's hard to have a perspective sometimes because things are very close and they affect us deeply. But when we are angry with people, sometimes it points to the fact that we need to work something out with them. And so we have to apply skillful means in that process. And the first step in applying skillful means when you are feeling angry towards somebody, is to take a look at your experience. Take responsibility for your reactions. Look at your reactions. Work with your reactions. See if you can cultivate a little bit more inner balance of mind, whether it's talking to somebody else or working through the practice or whatever it is. Try to regain your balance and then try to deal with the issue that might, be, that might need to be dealt with. That, that's actually really a good approach. Is just what I said. There's no formula for how to deal with that, but but that's a good approach. Is first to take a look at what's arising inside you. Because a lot of times anger is triggering something else. You know, like we're getting angry at somebody in the present because of our history of what's happened to us in the past. And so we need to be in touch with that because sometimes what happens is we get too angry at things that are not that big of a deal. But it's because it's triggering something that we're carrying around with us. And so by taking a look at that anger and, look, and really investigating it, um, we, can get, we can free ourselves of that extra burden. And then I think we're, we're in a much more open space to solve the particular issue that you're dealing with. And also, it's much more effective for getting what you want you know, and for making change when, when you take this approach rather, like you said, than come out punching because you really don't get what you want. It's not satisfying to take that particular approach. The other approach takes a little bit longer. The one I'm talking about um, but it's mo- much more useful and people respond to you in a much more positive way and they're more willing to make that change. Okay. I mean, seeing that anger such a hot topic I'm the anger. <clears throat> Okay. It was particularly interesting to hear talk, uh, you talk. because speak up. Of- yeah.
1: but don't get lost in it yeah. and yet I find it very difficult to feel anger and not being lost yeah. in other words they, they seem to not be detachable when I heard you talk uh, at the beginning it seemed like you had a good reason to get lost once, once you get uh, you know, it, it was easy that, 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 that when you were feeling anger it was because you felt Somebody had done you wrong. But after you finished the talk and you rationalize everything, there was no more reason to be anger. So, my question is uh, how do I differentiate between the getting lost
0: and the, and the anger? Um, well, I think you have to work on that one, Sam. So. Uh, because every time you get angry, if you get lost in that, you're going to find yourself getting into trouble, basically. You know, you, you'll have problems for sure because the, in order to work with anger in a productive way, in a way where you learn from your experience and respond in a more skillful, and more appropriate way, you have to bring awareness to that emotion. And what I'm saying is awareness, if you can bring awareness, you'll actually experience the anger in some ways much more fully because you'll be in touch with many different aspects of it if you're just paying attention to it. Whereas if you get caught by anger, it's just a reaction you know, that's propelling you forward, propelling you into an action that is, is not going to be skillful. So, so to me, it, with practice, you can get more balanced when strong emotions arise. You can, in other words, you can hold the emotion without pushing it down or without getting lost in it. And you hold it in this field of awareness. You know, There's this awareness of the anger. And so you're holding it, you're feeling it, it's hot, it's all these things that we were talking about, but it's not taking you away. You know, you're not getting lost in it. It's not driving your actions. Yeah. It might be arising because of certain conditions, and it will, but it's not influencing your life as much. And you're not coming from that place. As much in relationship but if you get caught in your anger in your relationship with others it's going to cause suffering there's really no doubt about that whether we see that suffering or not it will cause suffering and oftentimes our anger causes a lot of suffering for others you know when we get lost in it So, with awareness we with practice it becomes possible to experience anger without getting lost in it definitely
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Started, started building up. Yeah. Just uh, on feeling resentful, Feeling this. Is that how really skillfully bring the practice everyday life? Yeah, I mean, one step that you want to do is acknowledge your feeling. That that to me really is very helpful in everyday life. Is to acknowledge that you're feeling resentful. Like, say, you know, there's too many pots or something, and you you can't get away from it, and you get dragged into the, you know, and it's a you, know, you wanted to go for a walk and you ran out of time. And so so when you feel that resentment or anger, probably it's kind of building maybe. It doesn't just all of a sudden happen. It's it's coming and going, coming and going. And so when it arises, you want to acknowledge it. You know, that's very important to saying, oh, yeah, there's that resentment. That'll help a lot, actually. It really will, rather than just trying to tell yourself a story. Like, I shouldn't be angry. This is a meditation center, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> you know that, you know, that'll get you just more angry. Uh, so to acknowledge those feelings is, extre- is a big step to take. And to acknowledge the feelings without any judgment about the feeling. The judgment doesn't, judgment-free doesn't mean it's permission to act. Now, that's not what judgment-free means. Judgment-free means you're just acknowledging it. And there's no judgment about the resentment at all. And it, it's impermanent, too, right? The resentment often is very, you know, that feeling passed. And and, and and so, you know, it's important to see that. But acknowledging it is really one of the most helpful things because once you acknowledge it, there's a little bit more room to kind of discern how you want to respond to that emotion. And that's, and that's what we really want to do. We're not trying to create human beings here that don't experience emotions. No, No, with practice, oftentimes, the emotions are really much more on the surface. But what we want to do is apply discernment to our emotional world, and that means first acknowledging it and becoming aware that the emotion is there, and then tr- trying to see for yourself, you know what needs to be done in relationship to that emotion. Maybe it just needs to be watched and stayed with, and kind of keep it to yourself. Maybe it's an emotion that, um, you know, is in relationship to a specific person in your life, an intimate person in your life, and you ne- you really need to share it and talk about it. Well, if you're holding it in not in judgmental way and you're not being caught by it it's much easier to share and get it on the table and talk about really what's bothering you, for instance, if it was, if it was long-term resentment or if it was resentment you know, more significant than too many pots. Um, so the first step, I think, is to acknowledge it. And also, I do think with some emotions, it's really helpful to talk about them with somebody. You know, The Buddha talked a lot about different kind of antidotes to different difficult mind states like what kind of what kinds of things can help balance the mind when we're really agitated or overwhelmed or thrown around and one of the antidotes is noble friendship you know like talking to somebody who has a little bit more wisdom than we do you know they might not have wisdom about everything but they might have more wisdom about this particular situation and i find that's really useful you have to pick the right person definitely that's that takes a certain amount of wisdom. It's tempting not to choose the right person because you know they're going to agree with you. Um, so you've got to choose the right person, but that is extremely helpful for bringing the mind into balance because somebody can a- offer you know, a perspective or hold it in a way that might be judgment-free or offer you some creative thought around how to work with it rather than just relying on your own uh, discernment. Sometimes we need somebody else's discernment taking a look at it. And that's, that's places where we can help each other. And it's where meditators, I feel, one of the benefits of being a meditator is one does begin to develop more discernment around one's own emotional world and how to deal with it. And then one can become a resource to others. One can then genuinely offer you know, some suggestions or advice or perspective that is born out of your own experience. Not something you read out of a book, but something you've lived through, and you know it, and you know this works. And to be able to offer that to somebody is really great. I mean, it's a really good feeling. Um, but it's hard-earned knowledge. It's knowledge that's come out of your own work. So it's much more reliable. Okay. Way back, Green. Green. Is it be able to what? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great.
1: Yeah. Right. But acknowledge, you know, right. acknowledge that that even if all of these responses I get were hundred percent true, which, which isn't uh there still should be room for compassion. Mm-hmm. And figuring out
0: a way to be compassionate to yourself when you were inundated, when you are constantly having to mm-hmm. have Yeah. Yeah, no. how best to handle how to develop for Right. Well, I think a lot of times our lack of compassion towards ourselves has something to do with the fact that we identify. We often identify with the reactions we're having or we identify with things that trouble us about ourselves. And um, I feel like as we begin to cultivate more awareness of kind of what we're doing, the kind of reactions that we're having on a day-to-day basis, the more we begin to understand and see that suffering that's manifesting. But also, there's another process that happens, which is we begin to not identify so much with that conditioning. You know, we begin to see the conditioning. We can see the suffering that comes out of that. But there's less claiming my anger, my reactions, myself. And, and when that happens, when there's a letting go that happens, a less identification with that experience, that opens us up actually to the suffering in it. As long as we're identified with it, we're busy reacting and judging. We have all sorts of ideas about it, shoulds or shouldn'ts. But as we begin to identify less with what is arising within us, I think more compassion arises towards one's own Mm -hmm. suffering. But I think compassion comes essentially out of learning to be with one's suffering but also having worked through some of it, and to and begin to taste some degree of liberation. Oftentimes when we're confronted with suffering, we might think, well, you know, it's a good idea to be compassionate towards this person or it's a good idea to be compassionate towards ourselves. But oftentimes that's, it's kind of a good idea. Yeah. We need to really take this up, bring the practice into it, bring more awareness to it, begin to discover a little bit more inner space. And also out of that, certainly this insight definitely arises out of practice, which is this sense that we're not separate beings. Yeah. We're not, and we see that very clearly, actually, as practice develops, that we're not separate entities. We're not disconnected from each other. You know, we're very much part of a whole, whether we're aware of it or not. Our ideas and our mind tells us otherwise. But the reality is that, you know, just look at the body. It's an energy system. It's not separate. Look at the mind. It's an energy system. It's not separate from nature. We're all part of nature. And when we begin to see that reality, I think compassion becomes much more a natural response. We don't even need to cultivate it as much as, you know, we're all in this together. I mean, We are all in this together. Our thoughts are so hooked into. Teacher mind describes it as self-referential. Thinking. Reflect just for the ref, reflect on the last four or five days, right? Last four and a half days, five days. How many thoughts did you have that were about you? <laughs> Somehow, you know, you in relationship to whatever it was. It's probably like ninety-nine point <laughs> five. You know, it's we're always thinking about ourselves. Always. Always. You know, my suffering, this, my. I'm doing this, my, you know, my plans, my, you know. We think a lot about ourselves. And, you know, it, it, that's how we're conditioned. You know, that's how we're conditioned. We're in a very much a, we operate often in this, this illusion that we're in this closed cycle where we're the center of the universe. And we're really not the center of the universe, obviously. I'm sure everybody would agree with that. Right? Uh, <laughs> uh and so, to me, compassion is recognizing that sense of interconnectedness, and it, and it comes from overcoming this strong sense of self. Uh, this letting go, it's it's understanding selflessness. You know, compassion comes out of we talk about selflessness and no self on this path. Essentially, what that means is that we're all part of nature. Okay, we're all part of nature. There's no separate, solid being that stands apart from nature. So your reactions, your anger, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your states of mind, your plans, your aspirations, your desires, all of that is all part of nature. None of it is separate. It's all part of nature. And that's selflessness. No self. It's just nature. And so when we see that clearly, compassion is just is wisdom. Wisdom and compassion, in a sense, come together. They're not separate. There's no, nobody feeling compassionate. Not feeling compassion for you or you feeling compassion for me, there's just this understanding that there's no separation. And your suffering is my suffering. You know, your liberation is my liberation. And, and one can really get a sense of that gradually as one begins to practice. It's very freeing, too. It's not It's not scary at all. It's very, very freeing to know that we're not these separate beings. It's terrifying to think that you're this separate, solid being because then you have to really protect it. And also then you have to live in this kind of denial, you know, denial of the reality of who you are. Anyway. Maybe we should just sit for a minute, I think. There were a few questions, I guess.